Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to The Other Hand, a podcast brought to you by CJP Economics, a collaboration between Jim Power and Chris Johns, where we discuss the intersection between politics, finance, and economics. Our back catalogue of podcasts can be found at our Substack website, and that Substack site also contains our extensive body of written work. Thanks for listening and reading. If you like our work, please share with your friends and sign up to our newsletter. Big week in economics and markets this week. We had three major interest rate decisions in the States, the United Kingdom, and in the Euro area. We also had an increase interest rate increase in Switzerland. So a lot to talk about there, particularly in terms of the future direction in rates, as indicated by the various central bank statements. Um, secondly, something caught my eye in the last couple of days Eurostat published data on happiness in the European Union. And there's a few interesting messages in there, particularly from an Irish perspective. Uh, We got quite a bit of important data in Ireland this week. We had the external trade numbers for October and we had house price data for October. So I'd like to take you through the detail of those. Uh, A story in the Financial Times today caught my attention about the impact of wealth taxes in Norway and reportedly um, a lot of high net worth people leaving the country because of the change in the tax environment. Uh, Today, we had World Bank data on wealth in the European Union, which showed that GDP per capita in Ireland, the second highest in the European Union, um, three times higher than Spain, for example. So I think that warrants a little bit of a discussion. And um, finally, the other story that has really caught my attention in recent days, it's what's going on with the National Health Service in the United Kingdom. 
Um, you think back to the run-up to the referendum on the 23rd of June 2016, all the promises that were being made by the Brexiteers about the money that would be released to invest in the health service and uh, Nirvana was promised. But um, it certainly strikes me that, um, that, that the whole system is in total chaos at the moment. And um, we've just witnessed the first strike um, of nurses in Wales, England and Northern Ireland. I think since that nursing union was founded something like 100 years ago and uh, waiting lists are picking up. So it, it would it would certainly appear that Brexit has not had the sort of impact on the National Health Service that the Brexiteers were promising. So a full agenda, as always. Um, and I don't know if you anything else to add. Um, well, I don't know whether we'll get time, Jim, but the couple of things I would add is that Goldman Sachs have announced today that they're going to be firing maybe 8% of their workforce globally, uh, which is a pretty chunky number, many thousands of people. I think they employ nearly 50,000 people worldwide. There has been a lot happening in the crypto space, Binance, I'm not even sure how to pronounce it, is another crypto exchange, I think, that has experienced some outflows this week of around a billion. Seems to be the number that's been kicked around. So there's still a lot going on in the wake of the FTX collapse. Binance or Binance or whatever they're called has also said, according to reports today, that their auditor has halted work on them and has also halted work on any other crypto that it's been doing. So that I'm not quite sure what that might indicate, but it's not a good look, I think. The uh, other thing that's worth mentioning, if not going into, is what Elon Musk is doing to Twitter. And the German authorities today warned Twitter and Elon Musk that any threat to freedom of speech, that his new policies, which change every day, whether they represent a threat to free speech is something they are looking at very, very closely. So I think the regulators generally are looking at Twitter with a jaundiced eye at the moment, actually, given what Musk is doing. There seems to be a new announcement every day as to whether or not this policy or that policy applies and changing of policies. The latest is that if you are on Twitter, you are not allowed to advertise the fact that you're also on Mastodon. He's taken that, that ability away from you. So it's that that's what's been catching my eye today. But uh, certainly the main UK agenda item for me when we get to it will be the NHS. And the, the words systemic failure are now associated with the NHS. It'll take us about a week to get through all of that. But let's start on the interest rate front. It was a big week. We had meetings of the Bank of England's Monetary Policy Committee, the Federal Reserve's Federal Open Market Committee, and the European Central Bank's Governing Council. The expectation was that in all three jurisdictions, rates would be increased by a half percent, which would have represented a deceleration from recent increases of 75 basis points or three quarters of one percent. And indeed, all three central banks delivered as the markets had expected. The Bank of England increased rates from three to three and a half percent. Uh, the Federal Reserve took rates up by 50 basis points and the European Central Bank took its base rate up from 2% to 2.5%. The statements accompanying all three interest rate meetings interesting in a sense that uh, they didn't give a lot of comfort really about the path of interest rates in 2023. Okay, you, you could say in the case of the UK that there was some element of dovish tone coming through from the meeting in the sense that on November 7th, 
seven of the members of the Monetary Policy Committee voted for an interest rate increase of three quarters of 1%, which was delivered. But this week, six members voted for 50 basis points and two members actually voted for no change. Comments made by those two was that the current setting of the bank rate is more than sufficient to achieve what it needs to achieve, which is to get inflation back under control. How And they also dropped the line about inflation being skewed to the upside, which has been a theme in recent times. Um, but they also made it clear that there are more rate hikes to come, that they are necessary uh, demand proving more resilient than they had expected. The current market expectation is that we will see another 1% increase in the UK base rate, taking it up to 4.5%. In the case of the European Central Bank, as I said, rates increased from 2 to 2.5%, two uh, which did represent a deceleration from the recent trend. Um, and certainly reflected, I think, the fact that we've seen the headline rate of inflation in the euro area drop back from 107 to 10%. But in the statement accompanying that move, Christine Lagarde said that interest rates will still have to rise significantly at a steady pace to reach a level that is sufficiently restrictive to ensure a timely return to low inflation. And she also went on to comment that inflation remains far too high. So that suggests that the European Central Bank is minded to increase rates again in the new year. My expectation would be, for what it's worth, there's probably another 1% on the upside there. So for people on tracker mortgages in this country, um, another 1% onto the mortgage repayment, to me, is the most likely scenario. But there are others out there in the market that believe rates will go significantly higher than that. If they do, in my mind, that would represent a major policy mistake. And indeed, I think another 1% would even represent a policy mistake. But it doesn't matter what I think. It's what the members of the European Central Bank Governing Council believe at the moment is the important piece. In the case of the Federal Reserve, you know, the same sort of message come, came true. Uh, there was a slowdown in the rate of increase in rates, but it's still a half percent delivered. They made it quite clear that, you know, inflation was still too high, uh, that the economy was still showing reasonably strong signs of growth and that interest rates would have to be increased further. Um, the Federal Reserve Council members or the members of the Federal Open Market Committee, committee members, I should say, rather than council members, uh, they do a basically a forecasting exercise amongst themselves about growth and about um, the path of interest rates. And the basic consensus there is that another three quarters of 1% will be added to US rates um, in the first half of 2023. And it also forecasts, and this is actually consistent with the recent OECD and IMF forecast for the United States, that the economy would expand by just 0.5% next year. So we end the year with interest rates everywhere continuing under upside pressure with more interest rate increases to come. And I should also mention that the Swiss National, National Cent excuse me, the Swiss National Bank, the SNB, increased its rates by a half percent again this week. And that too represented a slowdown from recent increases of three quarters of 1%. So while at one level, 
we're ending the year with clear signs that central bankers are starting to believe that inflation is starting to moderate, that it has passed its peak. Um, there's still a strong consensus amongst those central bankers that rates will have to be tightened further in 2023. They're talking a good game, that's for sure. Uh, they all delivered 50s rather than 75. So that, as you say, is a deceleration in the pace of increases. I think there's a number of factors worth emphasizing here. First of all, if we go back to this time last year, if you'd forecast that we would have had four 75 basis point rises in interest rates alone, let alone the other, and for example, the 50 that we got this week, just the four 75s on their own would have elicited cries of no chance from analysts and commentators and various other central bank watchers. The risk that you'd have run, it would have been said at the time, is that that pace of monetary tightening would have caused at least a financial crisis, if not an economic one, that the financial system itself couldn't weather that. So it's been interesting to observe that we have yet to generate a financial crisis as a result of this. And that more generally illustrates how, how wrong we would have been to say no chance. I don't think that anybody has a clue as to where interest rates, inflation and economic growth are going next year. I as you know, say that all the time about forecasts. But I think it's particularly impossible to have much certainty about what 2023 looks like. My guess, for what it's worth, notwithstanding saying that, is that if they deliver interest rate rises that they are hinting at with their tough rhetoric, is that they will be making a perfectly symmetrical mistake about monetary policy on this side of the divide to the same side that they went in on this. They went in on this, you might remember, all as members of Team Transitory saying that inflation was going to be subdued, temporary and supply side, nothing to do with me, Gov. Uh, they're now saying, of course, that they're going to have to be much tougher. We had, I think, a man called John Williams only today saying that the consensus expectation for the Fed's peak of 5% is probably wrong, that they're probably going to have to do more than that. We're getting this kind of tough talk. I would say watch what they do rather than what they say. And I think that inflation is going to come down next year. Energy prices permitting, provided energy prices don't go up again, but provided we have the sort of energy price nexus that we've got at the moment, I think that inflation is going to come down for all sorts of reasons, not least economic weakness. One of the things that has allowed inflation to be higher than expected is that a lot, I've said this before, but it, I've looked into this and I think there's a lot of it about, is that the, particularly in the States, but also elsewhere, economies have held up, generally speaking, better than expected, which has allowed firms to sneak in margin, profit margin increases. It's not just about energy pricing. It's not just about the labor market. Once economies weaken, they are going to have to let their margins take some of the strain and profit margins, I think, will contract next year. You can see that in the UK where we had data today that retail sales around the Black Friday uh, few days have been much weaker than expected. I think that's going to force retailers to and other firms to think about their, their profit margins. I think house prices are another interesting one. Again, I'm very negative about house prices globally next year, particularly here in the UK. And I think that that has all sorts of knock-on effects for the economy. It means disinflationary pressures. So I think that by the sometime during the second half of next year, I think we're looking at interest rate cuts. And I think it's unlikely that interest rates go up in the way that the rhetoric suggests that it does. Because going back to my remarks about crisis or, or problems, let's not be too extreme about this. 
One of the interesting things that has happened this week is that equity markets led by the United States in a small way have taken fright over all of this rhetoric. And despite the fact that all of these interest rate rises came in exactly as expected, exactly as forecast, there's been quite a negative reaction in stock markets. And I think that more than anything is telling us that A, markets are worried about this rhetoric in general. And in particular, I think they're worried about central banks making a mistake and over-egging it symmetrically, as I say, on this side of the interest rate cycle. Ultimately, I think central banks will be guided by incoming data. I think they talk a good game, but let's watch what they do. And I don't think their actions are going to match the rhetoric. One of the interesting features of the global economic environment over the last 12 months, really, we saw intense headwinds emanating from the Ukraine war, inflation taking off, interest rates rising. But on the other side of the coin, labour markets have remained incredibly tight and we're looking at the lowest level of unemployment ever seen in the euro area since its formation. US unemployment is close to historic lows and UK unemployment also close to historic lows. And indeed, if you look here in Ireland, the labour market is incredibly tight. So there is a little bit of a disconnect at the moment between rising interest rates, the chill economic winds that are blowing um, and the performance of labour markets. Perhaps it's just a case of labour markets being a lagging indicator and that as we go through 2023, you will see unemployment starting to pick up again. But from a central banker's perspective, I think they look at the tightness of labour markets at the moment, the possible implications of that for wages, and that will keep them on track to continue to increase rates. I'm surprised to hear you say you would expect rates to come down in the second half of 2023, because my express view in recent times has been that that wouldn't happen until 2024. Uh, but perhaps we're engaging in semantics here. I think that the, the key point really is that rates are going to be increased too much. They will do significant economic damage, forcing central bankers to uh, retrace their steps pretty quickly at some stage later next year or in 2024. And you, you mentioned, you know, in the United States, I spoke about the labor market, how tight it is. Uh, you, you alluded to the few days leading up to Thanksgiving about the weakness of retail sales. But for the month of November, retail sales in the States fell by 0.6%. The market expectation was for a decline of 0.1%. So clearly, there is something happening there in terms of the impact of what's going on um, on consumer spending. Chris, if I could move on to... Can I just stop you there yeah. before you move on? A couple of straws in the wind. And it, these are very, very small, weak straws in the wind. We are going through a cold snap across the Northern Hemisphere, actually. In Canada and the United States, there's quite cold weather. And obviously, where you are in Ireland and in the UK, it's been very, very cold. Oil Fro prices... Fro frost in San Francisco this morning. Oil prices are down over 3% today after having been quite weak for some time. Oil prices are now well below OPEC's target of $100. They're now 70 something dollars a barrel. That's good news. Do you know what Dutch natural gas prices are at the moment? I say Dutch nat natural gas prices because that's the EU benchmark that we're interested in. This is where they trade on the futures. So where gas for delivery next month in January. Do you know where, roughly where they are today, Jim? Well, I suspect 60, 70% down from the peak. The peak was 350 euros, the way in this March. is measured. They are down 14% today. 
to 14% today. Wow. Today to 116. Okay. They looked like they were going up during the cold snap, but there's been a sudden sell-off. So despite the fact the cold snap is still here and we're all consuming gas like Billio, perhaps we're not consuming quite as much as the futures market thought. So there, there are already, I think, disinflationary impulses coming from the energy sector in that energy prices are coming down. That may not last. I'd be the first to admit that. And we're at 116 today on this measure, 116 euros. It has quite recently been up back up to around 150. It's still a long way down from 350 earlier on in the year. All prices are now lower than they were a year ago before the invasion started. Joe Biden is actively tweeting his delight at the behavior of oil prices. And on that, it's worth mentioning a very good comment we got on our website. So thank you to the listener that pointed this out, is that one of the reasons why oil prices are down is that Joe Biden has been releasing an awful lot of oil from strategic petroleum reserve in the US into the market. And how much longer can he do this? Well, we'll see. I should suspect that if the West Texas benchmark goes below $70, that the US will start buying oil again to replenish their strategic reserves. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A Eurostat survey published yesterday, uh, it was looking at satisfaction with life amongst different age cohorts across the European Union. And here in Ireland, satisfaction with life among younger people is amongst the lowest in Europe. And that would be typically people aged between 16 and 29. Older people are much happier and satisfied with life at the moment. And Ireland is an outlier here because um, in almost every other European country, the life satisfaction in most of those countries is higher among the young than the old. That, That shouldn't come as a surprise because as we get old, all our bits stop working and satisfaction with life definitely speak for yourself, mate. i speak for myself <laughs> yeah indeed i am um but you know we start becoming more concerned about health etc mm. etc but here in ireland older people are much happier than younger people okay in in looking at what's the the basis for this and we haven't been giving given any evidence as to why it's happening but I would sort of assume housing is top of the list, you know, the major issue for young people. Uh, there is an issue around pensions and the fact that when we were young and started work, um, in many cases, we 
went into jobs where there was a defined benefit pension scheme. So there was a huge job guarantee there behind you and pension guarantee. Um, I think there's an issue around inheritance. You know, the fact that for young people, if they get assets passed on from the older generation, they get taxed off the face of the earth. I know we we disagree on this particular issue we have done before. And I think a fourth issue is just the increasing nanny state here. I mean, the state is becoming more and more involved in absolutely everything we do in this country. But I think housing is top of the pile. Um, but I, I, I do think it's interesting. And the OECD published a report on Ireland earlier this week. There was a lot of stuff in it um, related to the housing market, but also related to pensions. And they were pointing out that it was a major policy error not to continue to increase the state pension aid from 66 up as had been planned, but which was withdrawn because of intense political pressure. Uh, the OECD, for fiscal reasons, believes that is a mistake. Um, I would agree with them on that. Um, and I think this is another example of where we are pulling the drawbridge up after the younger generation, because at the end of the day, it is the younger generation that will end up paying the taxes that will fund that exorbitant pension bill into the future because we and we have discussed this many times Chris but um, you know when Bismarck introduced the first pension scheme life expectancy was so low that nobody would ever get the pension anyway things have changed life expectancy in Ireland is now around 83 which is one of the highest if not the highest in the European Union at this juncture Um, and yet um, at 66 uh, you can you know, get your state pension. And with a rapidly aging population over the coming years, uh, the fiscal cost of that is going to be excessive. And um, the left have come out, of course, criticising the OECD's call. And in fact, I was involved in a pretty heated discussion on News Talk yesterday with somebody from Social Justice Ireland who was saying, you know, how bad this would be. But Bodies like Social Justice Ireland just believe we need to spend money on everything and they're not prepared to even contemplate the notion that we have to prioritise, that we have to make choices. I would much prefer, and this is speaking for somebody who has a vested interest here in a sense that the state pension isn't too far down the line for me. I'd be more than happy to forego that for a couple of years longer if I believed you know, government made sufficient investment in housing and indeed in a proper health service, for example. I think there are issues, particularly housing, that could have a significant impact on young people. I couldn't agree more on the pension issue, Jim, as you know. The idea that we can still all draw our pensions at relatively young ages, with, with some exceptions to that. When we've talked about this before, um, some listeners who've made the very, I think, reasonable argument that they, they work in manual labouring work and that they're just physically not able to continue beyond 65, 66. I think systems should be able to, to allow for these sorts of things. But for the vast majority of us who do not engage in manual work, I'm an example of what I'm talking about here. What you're talking about, really, Jim, is that I can intend health-permitting luck permitting and all those other things to continue working for as long as I possibly can. There's no artificial age at which I'm going to stop because I don't actually work for anybody in, in, in the classic pensionable employment sense. But I do a bit of this and I do a bit of that. I make a half decent income out of the various activities that I've got, consulting and, and, and all the, the other stuff that we do. We even make 
a very small amount of money these days thanks to advertising on this podcast and it all adds up but at some arbitrary date in the next while unfortunately jim for me a lot closer than you maybe that's fortunate i don't know i will be drawing state pension and i'll get some money from the irish exchequer because i paid prsi for nearly 30 years in ireland and I'll get some money from the UK exchequer because I paid national insurance here for a while. I would fully agree with you. The idea that somebody like me should start getting this money while I'm still very active, touch wood, is nuts. It is just nuts because I, I hopefully am an example of that person that uh, the pension system that Bismarck designed for when his Prussian army officers retired at 65. Most of them didn't get that far, as you rightly point out. And those that did were dead by the time that they were 70. So the, the world has changed in, in very dramatic ways, and we need to recognise that. And the fiscal consequences of this are going to be terrible. Absolutely. Chris, m- moving on, I, I know you want to talk about the mess that is the NHS. Uh, before I get there, I'll just run through a few things pretty quickly. Um, Irish data updates, which I like to do. Uh, yesterday, we got external trade data for October. And in the first 10 months of the year, Merchandise exports, that's exports of goods, up by 28.8%. Exports to the EU, up 32.5%. Exports to Great Britain, up by 25.9%. Chemical and pharma, which accounts for 65% of those exports, up by over 34%. And food, despite or perhaps because of Brexit, up by 22.4%. So Ireland's export model is still functioning incredibly strongly. Um, And it's not just being driven by the multinational sector. The agri-food sector is also making a significant contribution. On the house price front, we got data for October. um, Continues to see, as expected, a deceleration in the rate of increase, although prices are still increasing. But in the year to October, national average house prices increased by 9.8%. That's down from a peak of 15.1% in March. In Dublin, the annual rate is down at 8.3%. That compares to a peak of 13.2% in February. And outside of Dublin, which is the way the CSO categorizes it, uh, price inflation running at 11%. But that's down from, wait for it, 17.1% in March. So it's clear that the rising interest rate environment affordability issues because of house prices and also the more uncertain economic outlook and the the dint that consumer confidence has taken in recent months is impacting on the housing market. Uh, But I I stress prices are still rising. And with the exception of Dublin, prices nationally and prices outside of Dublin are now significantly above where they were prior to the crash back in 2007. So the housing market remains an issue, but thankfully there would appear to be some sanity at play here because, um, you know, we do need a significant moderation in house prices to try and um, help our national competitors, not to mention help our young people get a foothold on the housing ladder. Um, Another issue I think worth discussing is the fact that, and this is, a story in the Financial Times today, which tickled my fancy. Um, More than 30 of the richest Norwegians have fled to Switzerland and other countries over the past year as business leaders have become increasingly concerned over wealth taxes levied by the centre-left government. 
Uh, they believe it's damaging competitiveness and it believes that it's driving, you know, wealthy people who create jobs, etc., out of the Norwegian economy. Um, you know, some will respond to this by saying, well, if they're not prepared to pay higher taxes, we're better off without them. Um, I, I would not take that line of thinking personally, because I believe, you know, these people are the ones that basically create um, a lot of the jobs that are creating the economy. They create a lot of the economic prosperity. If you we, and we've always said this, that um, wealthy people, high, highly capable people, and I know the two are not necessarily correlated, but uh, if you implement a tax policy that drives these people out they are mobile um i think the overall economy and society will be at a loss as a result of that and the reason why i find this interesting is because the constant refrain of parties like Sinn Féin people before profit is that um they will pay for all of their spending proposals on the back of wealth taxes but wealth taxes do have a a significant disincentive effect. We just need to be mindful of that. The consequences of your tax decisions should always be fully thought through before you, you implement them. In a way, it's the philosophy behind the tax rises. Does it make for sensible tax policy? Does it, from a principles of tax policy, make sense to do whatever it is that you're proposing? You need to ask those questions because there is a, a significant body of work out there that's reasonably well articulated and accepted as to when taxes should be changed in certain ways. And there, there are optimal ways of doing taxation. There are very suboptimal ways of doing taxation. But one way you, you shouldn't do taxation is always say, well, put taxes up on the rich. Because as you know, I think that the case of Sinn Féin, for example, it doesn't actually matter what set of circumstances we've had over the last number of years, whether the economy has been doing well, not so well, whatever state of the business cycle you're in, whatever the state your society is in, their position has always been, let's put taxes on higher earners up. The fact is that sometimes that's the right thing to do, and sometimes it's the wrong thing to do. It's never the right thing to do at all points, at all time. And if Sinn Féin's position is always... I think that the rich can bear a little more. When does that ever stop? Or do you just always want to put taxes up on the rich? Do you ever think that taxes are high enough on the rich? Are you capable of admitting that taxes are too high? The thing about wealth taxes is that unless every country does it, it's never going to work in just one country, as that's been shown time and time again. France is an example of a country that has tried several times to implement wealth taxes and had to has had to walk them back because of the consequences that you've just suggested there. Norway doesn't need a wealth tax because it it has a gazillion euro uh, national wealth fund that is going to generate huge amounts of surplus income for, for the country for many years to come, thanks to the, its prudent management of oil revenues. It's whether or not you think the tax policy that you have is because you don't like rich people. Is that the message that you're trying to send? Or is it optimal tax policy? And if you don't like rich people, just say it. Don't pretend that you're doing something that is economically efficient or has some other rationale behind it. I think the problem that you've got in Ireland is that you've got a, a party, Sinn Féin, that just always wants to put taxes up on the rich because they don't like them. And if you send that message, then guess what? People who are better off will go somewhere else. That's the message that Norway and France and other countries send. Finally, Chris... The National Health Service in total crisis? 
Well, we've only got about 30 seconds left. I think that this almost deserves half a podcast in its own right. Words, NHS and systemic failure are being used in the same sentence now. We've got 7.2 million on, a, on waiting lists. If you go to A&E, you are faced on average at the moment between an eight and a 10 hour wait. And there is a lot of talk and chatter and angst about this. And it's getting quite interesting in the sense that the talk now is not just about the resources, about the money that is being spent and perhaps needs to be spent. The Labour Party, the Labour Party, not the Tories, is saying that the NHS needs to be reformed in terms of its practices, in terms of its governance. I would argue that the whole UK has a governance issue at the moment, and I'll talk about that in another podcast. But somebody like Alan Milburn, who who used to be the, the health secretary, makes, the, I think, the very good point is that the NHS has a 1948 structure. That's when it was first founded. And it was set up to treat episodic conditions. And now it's treating chronic conditions and its structure needs to change to recognize that fact. And that means governance, it means organization, it means work practices. So Wes Streeting, another Labour politician, the health spokesman, the shadow health spokesperson for the Labour Party, has been talking about these structural issues, these need for management reforms, and also reform of practices across the NHS, including doctors. And the BMA, British Medical Association, the trade union for, for doctors, originally opposed the establishment of the NHS in 1948, has reacted very badly to all of this. And so it's a vested interest that, frankly, if we do not tackle, it's going to be problematic forever. Um, but this systemic failure has led to, to lots of interesting discussions now that are not that the reason why they're interesting is not just about throwing more money at the system, which is the usual response to this. In the Times today, and this is where I'll conclude, I could talk about this all day, as you could probably imagine, Emma Duncan, who used to be, the, I think, the editor of The Economist, talked about the management issue in the NHS. It's conventional wisdom here in the UK to say, oh, we've got too many managers. It's t there are too many middle men and women who are not frontline health workers, and all we've got to do is reduce them. She was arguing that there is abundant evidence now to suggest that, A, we don't have enough of them, and B, the ones that we do have aren't good enough. And she cites the work of a LSE economist and other economists, a guy called John Van Rienen, who's done huge amounts of really interesting work on managerial quality in the UK, not just the NHS, but also the NHS, who is of the view that we have too many mediocre managers uh, across the board, across the UK, actually. And I think that you can see in the, the way in which the UK economy is fraying at the edges that that is true. It's been true for a while. So you need more managers, not less, and better quality ones, part of those reforms. So the discussion about structural change in the NHS, not just throwing money at it, I think is very interesting. And it has resonance for, for you in Ireland and indeed other countries that struggle with their healthcare systems. This we will return to, Chris. Uh, do have a great weekend. I have a weekend of correcting exams in front of me. How about you? I have a weekend of getting over my jet lag. OK, listen, enjoy it. Cheers, we'll talk next week. Bye. Bye. You have been listening to Chris Johns and Jim Power on the other hand. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please sign up to our Substack account, www.cjpeconomics.substack.com. You can download our podcasts on Apple, Spotify, and other good podcast platforms. 
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.